and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. I'm your super excited host, Ryan Key. And I'm even more excited than Ryan. I'm Nick. <laughs> Prove it. We, we are also joined today by a very, very special guest, Ashley Eckstein. Hello. Hi. Hey, guys. Welcome. Uh, hi, everyone. I, I have to tell you, I'm even more excited than all of you. Doubt it. Really? Winner. Yeah. Ashley is, uh, for those who don't know, first of all, who are you if you don't know, if you're listening to this podcast, the voice of one of the most <laughs> beloved Star Wars characters in all of Star Wars, I think, I would say. And I would also say the central character in the Clone Wars animated series. I think that's safe to say at this point, and also a big part of the Rebels animated series. And that character is, of course, Ahsoka Tano. Can we clap? Can someone clap, please? <laughs> I, I mean, yes. <laughs> wow. Thank you for that kind introduction. You're welcome. It's the truth. It's science. <laughs> <laughs> I get, okay, so every week, I'm like, can I tell the story yet? And they're like, no, dude, you can't tell the story yet. And this is before you agreed to be on the show, or like before you're like, yeah, it's great, I'll do it. I just kept being like, Dude, but I have to tell the story because it's like the craziest Star Wars story of my life. I mean, this is even cooler than when Star Wars followed me on Twitter and now un- unfollowed me for some reason. But so if you guys want to put me back in that list of like 450 people in the world, I'd be really psyched about that. But I still have the screenshot of the night it happened. It's all right. I had an article that got deleted from StarWars.com. I cried too. It's okay. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm getting on a plane from Los Angeles to Orlando and I'm walking down the jet bridge to get on the plane and in front of me is a woman wearing a Star Wars sweats, right? So it was kind of like your, it was like yeah. a her universe sweatsuit thing. Yeah. Yep. It was like cool vibes, never seen it. Totally looked like a custom, it looked like you made it, like it was like a custom piece, you know, that you got. Like my sister got me actually a her universe sweat crew neck from Skywalker Ranch years ago. And I didn't know that's what it was, but it's like super limited run. It's got patches on it. It's super cool. And like, well, there's only a few of them made and it was very cool. So anyways, it looked like that. And also pulling a R2-D2 carry-on suitcase. And I was like, side note, this was the day, the first episode of Thank the Maker aired. It was a Thursday in February, I guess. And it was, so it was the first day we launched the podcast. This is happening. So I'm like, that's crazy. This is like a big (laughs) Star Wars day for me. And there's this person who clearly loves Star Wars as much as I do or more in front of me getting on the plane. Well, we get on the plane and I fly a lot. So I'm not bougie fancy. Like I don't buy the tickets. I just fly a lot. So I get upgraded a lot to first class because of the amount of times I, I, the amount of miles I fly every year. So I had gotten upgraded for this flight. She sits down in 4A and I look at my thing and I'm in 4B. I'm like, well, this is even crazier. I'm sitting next to the Star Wars fan, fan I'm thinking at the time. Then I sit down and I had a t-shirt on and so my Yoda tattoo was just like blaring off my arm and she says something like, oh, that's a cool tattoo. I was like, oh, thanks. And we just got to chatting as you do on an airplane. And I mentioned that like I was a musician and songwriter or whatever. And, and I'm so, so what do you do? And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm an actor and I'm a voice actor. And it's like, oh, cool. What are you like? What are you working on? <laughs> you know, I'm like no idea. And she's like, oh, well, I, um, I actually voiced a character on um, the Clone Wars, the Star Wars, the Clone Wars, the animated series. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> she's like, yeah, um, I'm the voice of Ahsoka Tano on the Clone Wars. And I'm like trying to just be calm, cool, collected as possible. But inside, I mean, I'm flipping out. And I mentioned like I was launching a Star Wars podcast today. What are the odds of us sitting on a plane next to each other? Then we just... Never tell me the odds. We, <laughs> <laughs> we, just, uh, we just hung out for the whole four and a half, four and a half hour flight and talked about like, I don't know, just how we got where we were. And it was really great. And, and I, I remember asking about the podcast, kind of saying, 
I know it's probably a long shot someday that you could be on the podcast because there's rules. And I think I mentioned that we curse like sailors on the show, which, by the way, <laughs> this episode and, and we'll do our best. Yes, we are. We're trying. We're, we're trying to reinvent ourselves because we're starting to get such high caliber talent on the show. So um, and, and you were like, you literally like. Yeah, that's probably not a thing. And, and I was like, you know. I was like, yeah, I figured. And then, but you did say, you did say, when the show is over, I may have some more freedom. And sure enough, I reached out. And side note, also, we were on the same flight, one seat apart as well, going back to LA like three days later. So the whole thing was just wild. And then we connected, and that, as you said, the force brought us together. It's just super cool. So thanks for being here. Thanks for letting me finally tell my cool airplane story of how we met. <laughs> well, I have to say, you know, I, I do feel like the force works in mysterious ways. And, you know, it was it was really kind of surreal for me that day, too. You know, once you told me your story, I was excited for you because you were so excited that you had just started this podcast. And I love Star Wars so much. So, uh, you know, and I'm also just a huge fan. So to see someone that shares my same excitement for Star Wars, I was just as excited for you. It's so funny. Unless people ask, I don't talk about what I do. Right. And Especially Especially not on a plane. Yeah. And so it's funny because I remember I didn't tell you until like a while into our conversation. Mm -hmm. And I kept on feeling like really bad. Like, maybe I should tell him. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should say something that, you know, there's a reason I'm like such a big fan. But it was really cool. And I have to tell you then my side of the story, because full disclosure, you guys, consider me a Padawan when it comes to music. So a couple years ago, I sold my company, Her Universe, to Hot Topic. So my office is actually in the Hot Topic office. And I'm kind of the butt of all the jokes there, because (laughs) in my life, I think I've only been to like five concerts. And... um, yeah, and two of them are New Kids on the Block. That was my first show. It's my first show ever in 1988. <laughs> two New Kids oh. on the Block shows? Separate ones? <laughs> yes, nice. two separate ones. I for sure saw New Kids on the Block. It was probably my second concert. First one was Madonna. Second was okay. New Kids on the Block. Sure. Winner. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, carry on. No, no. So I feel like I earned so much credibility with my friends at Hot Topic when I went back and I told them, I was like, guess who I sat next to on the plane? Because they make so much fun of me that I've only been to like five concerts and they think it's hysterical. So you guys have to teach me your ways, teach me all about music. I'm a Padawan. I want to learn. I would consider all three of our bands. Somewhat hot topic, band. yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, so definitely, definitely played at the offices more yeah, than once. Absolutely. So it's so funny that exact kind of like, uh, should I say something vibe is a thing that we experience as musicians. And I, oh, I've had like a normal human job for the past five years now, and I can't tell you the number of people that I have worked with that I've known for months, sometimes like a full year or more. I don't even mention my band. And then eventually, either they find out or we talk or I say something or they know I'm a musician. And I'm like, so what's the band called? And then I say it and they're like, hold on, say it like from, you get for real. And it's it's a thing, especially, you know, I'm in my hometown. So this is definitely our our biggest market. So it's an awkward, but fun, but funny interaction. It's It's always awkward because I feel like when I start talking about it and then they ask, what band are you in? It's like, what does it matter? Mm -hmm. Not what does it matter, but what does it matter? Because already you don't recognize me. Are you waiting for me to say Metallica? (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) Well, there is well, that. I'm not in Metallica. That is a good point. Well, Nick, I think you've worn 
an Ahsoka shirt at one point, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. Ray before, um, you know, probably four or five years ago, it was just something I started wearing on stage a bunch. It was, uh, you know, a separate artist rendition. You know, it was just a painting that someone put on a shirt. And it, at the time, it was the most, like, uh, I guess, applicable, like, design for me to wear on stage, I, I guess would be the best way. Like, it just represented, you know, it was a black shirt and just a big old painting of Ahsoka. And in here and there, I just started getting comments about it. You know, I think it definitely was a little flyer for Bayside fans out there in the crowd to be like, nice shirt, mm-hmm. that type of thing. That's sweet. So, Very cool. Because, you know, Star Wars is at a certain level, and then the more into Star Wars you're, you get into Clone Wars and all that type of stuff. So it's kind of just like a, a wink to the people who are super into Star Wars. So awesome. it made me happy to see how many people commented, yeah, which is great. Yeah, I really appreciated it. My friend sent it to me. And again, I like geeked out. I was like, <laughs> wow, a musician knows who Ahsoka is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we do. We do know. We know very well. <laughs> and I just think last thing I would say before we really get into the show is just, I think it's just cool, like having that, I don't know, mutual respect between professionals. Like the idea that we hung out and got to know each other a little bit, but I don't know, you were just so receptive to like communicating and like, yeah, cool. Let's, cause sometimes you meet people and you know, they give you like the fourth phone number that they have or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was just really. Sometimes you meet people that act like we all acted like 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sometimes you meet 25 year old me and it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, it's just been cool. This is obviously huge for the podcast, but for everyone out there, like when you meet people that, you know, you're excited to meet, whether it's a, a band or an actor or whoever it is, it's just so refreshing when you meet people that are kind and cool and inviting. So thanks for being here and thanks for all oh, of that. It's just awesome. Well, well, thank you. The feeling's mutual for sure. Cool. So you mentioned being a huge Star Wars fan. Yes. Do you have a vivid or defined or even vague earliest Star Wars memory? That you could talk about? I do. I do, actually. And it's both vivid and vague uh, at the same time. So I grew up in Orlando, Florida, and my dad was a Disney cast member. So I kind of, I have two great loves in life, and it's Disney and Star Wars. But my parents, they they introduced us to Star Wars on VHS, because I was was born in 1981. So I was kind of too young to experience the movies in theater, obviously. But I, to my mom's dismay, we had this orange shag carpet in, a, in our home and um, she hated it. But as kids, I remember it was like the perfect setting for Tatooine. Yes. Like it, it felt like the desert. And I remember watching Star Wars on VHS and that scene with C-3PO and R2-D2 in the desert in Tatooine. And so uh, we turned my living room with the orange shag carpet into Tatooine and I didn't want to be Princess Leia. I wanted to be R2-D2. Uh, so I would pretend to like roll around on the orange shag carpet and be like, beep, boop, beep, you know? Um, and, and yeah, I, I wanted to be a droid. That's hilarious and awesome. That's so awesome. <laughs> my dad and I, in our one of my earliest stars memories was same situation. My house, I was born in 79, so it was like a very disco 70s, early 80s house. And the hallway where the bedrooms went down was just, you know, straight hallway, three doors on one side, two on the other, whatever. But we would do like the the cell block prison break scene where one yeah. of us would fight at the other end and the other one would pop out of the doors. Like, <laughs> I, I just love those like childhood reenactment vibes, you know, because that was what was so cool. Like, I loved my action figures, but I was way more into actually 
playing out the scenes and stuff, you know, fighting with lightsabers and blasters and rolling around and beep beeping. <laughs> Except the part where you have to throw the action figure down the laundry chute because you can't jump down it yourself to go into the trash right. compactor. Exactly. Which exactly. I did repeatedly. I would like fake it, <laughs> yeah. like jump into the room and somersault, you know. Oh, we could talk about this for hours. We could also talk about Clone Wars for hours, but we are here today to talk about Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. We're closing it out. Closing out the original trilogy. For anyone who's a total noob, it would be really weird if you're listening to this podcast right now, but George Lucas told these out of order. Do we all know this? <laughs> he started with four and uh, ended with six, thinking it's you know the end of Luke Skywalker's story, but it's really the end of Anakin Skywalker's story. We then go back with the prequels starting in 1999 to tell the beginning of that. But to open this one, Ryan Key, give us the opening crawl. Luke Skywalker has returned to his home planet of Tatooine in an attempt to rescue his friend Han Solo from the clutches of the vile gangster Jabba the Hutt. Little does Luke know that the Galactic Empire has secretly begun construction on a new armored space station even more powerful than the first dreaded Death Star. When completed, this ultimate weapon will spell certain doom for the small band of rebels struggling to restore freedom to the galaxy into the far reaches of space we go. Nice. That's a great crawl, man. All three of these original trilogy films have great crawls. It's the last crawl. This is the end of feature films. We have no more feature films to cover. This is it. Yeah. Until something new happens. That's true. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. What a journey. So Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi was released May 25th, 1983. I was a wee baby. I was a toddler. I was three. Taglines, coming May 25th, 1983 to your galaxy. The saga continues in your galaxy soon. It's like a second thing that's on a UK poster I found earlier, which is the sickest poster. Never seen it until like four o'clock this afternoon. I'm going to get it for you. I love you. eBay. Return to a galaxy far, far away. And the Empire Falls. I had never seen that one. I don't know if that was a poster. Spoiler. (laughs) That's a total spoiler. (laughs) Returning cast, Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, of course, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Peter Mayhew, Billy Dee Williams, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, Alec Guinness, David Prowse, Frank Oz, Jeremy Bullock, and James Earl Jones, finally this time credited for the voice of Darth Vader. Ashley, did you know that? James Earl Jones is not credited in the credits or on IMDb or anywhere for A New Hope or The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, I I didn't know that. Yeah, we had a whole discussion on the Empire episode about why that might have been, if it was like he didn't want to get pigeonholed into the role or if we didn't know what it could possibly be, why. But Hmm. what we had like an overall agreement that it was probably because he didn't want to take he was like very very selfless and like didn't want to take away from david prowse playing you know yeah. wearing the suit he didn't want to take away from that which is super cool if that's why yeah yeah i you know that's i didn't know that and that's something i've never asked but i certainly will next time i'm around someone at lucasfilm that would know the answer to that yeah, please share but i I will say one of my very first convention experiences is it was my very first convention in general once Ahsoka came out. And um, one of the first people I met was David Prowse. Oh, wow. And uh, he, he walked up to my table, which first of all, like, Barely anyone wanted my autograph because Ahsoka was brand new. I, I didn't even, I wasn't <laughs> even sure if I belonged there. I just very much felt like a fish out of water. And David Prowse walks up to my table and is like, literally, I'm sitting, he's standing. And so I'm just like looking straight up at him and he's looking down at me. Like it's as intimidating as you can even imagine. And he asks me, he goes, Will you do an exchange? And 
I didn't even know what he meant. And I was like, uh, sure. What, what do you mean? What's an exchange? He goes, I'll give you some signed pictures if you give me some of yours. And I literally about fell out of my chair. I'm like, is Darth Vader asking for my autograph right now? Like, what is life? Yeah. Like, I, so, and he, he was just, he couldn't have been nicer. All the Star Wars actors are just beyond nice. But yeah, that's pretty cool that literally that was one of my first memories, you know, being a part of the Star Wars family was David Prowse, like, looming over me, asking for my autograph. That's amazing. So James Earl Jones probably met him. He's like, you're the sweetest man alive. I'm not stealing your thunder. Yeah. I'm doing the voice, but you're doing the work. Yeah, you know, I here's what I'll say. I Like I said, I, I, I don't know. But I do know that there's a general sense among Star Wars actors where we all realize that being a part of this franchise, it's not just another role. We all feel like we're a part of something really special. And it's bigger than any one of us. Everyone has that attitude. It really is a family. We're there for each other. And it's like a shared respect. We all understand what we're a part of. That's That's amazing. And I feel like that's something that every Star Wars fan should know, new or old, especially older fans that, I don't know, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of talking about toxic fandom, but anyone feeling those toxic vibes should hear exactly what you just said. Listen to those wise words. Yeah. Oh, I could do a whole podcast on toxic fandom. I will next tell time. you. Uh, yeah, next, next time. time. We'll have you back. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I don't want to derail this, but I will say I wholeheartedly believe the majority of fans are very positive, and it is just a small percentage that are creating that part of toxic fandom. But Star Wars means so much to so many people all over the world, and I'll continue to talk about the positive side of fandom. Awesome. Same here. Finishing up the cast, uh, new cast, Warwick Davis. Willow! Little Baby Warwick playing Wicket. Tim Rose is Admiral Akbar. It's a trap, of course. Ian McDermott as Emperor Palpatine. So he's new to this cast in 83, but now if you watch the films, you see him in 1980s, The Empire Strikes Back, because he was, of course, added in later. We did a whole podcast about that. This was directed by Richard Markhand. Do we figure out exactly the pronunciation? It wouldn't be Markwand. <laughs> So I heard it pronounced Mark Hand. It could be like Macron. <laughs> Richard Macron. There we go. Richard. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a hockey. I'm a big hockey yeah. guy. So. Richard Mark Hand will say directed by Richard Mark Hand. But Lucas was apparently over his shoulder the whole time, essentially co-directed. He was a very, very, very hands on producer. So you can see him in a lot of the behind the scenes stuff just right there. Written by Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas. Kasdan coming back after having done The Empire Strikes Back. Two-hour, 11-minute runtime, budget estimated $32 million, which is $82 million today's dollars. Not a ton. They were super efficient at that point. It seems like that also, as we've talked about some of the other budgets, that doesn't include promo. Right. Press and stuff. Because how are the other ones 115? You know what I mean? That's Right. I think it doesn't include that. But 82 for production in 1983, that's a high number. Grossed $23 million opening week in the U.S., which is $59 million, $2020. Grossed $309 million total in the U.S., which is $795 by today's dollars, and $475 worldwide, which is the equivalent to $1.2 billion at this point, and that puts it fifth out of all 11 in terms of uh, gross revenue in theaters. We have to wonder, though, does that include, I would think, the reruns in the 90s, right? They tend to include this? I would assume it would. Yeah. As far as the fifth place ranking now? Well, it's just the 475 total. Oh, right, right. Yeah, probably. You would be seeing what it's grossed to this day, I think. 
That makes sense. It was nominated for a few Academy Awards, Best Art and Set Direction, Best Sound, Best Sound Effects, Best Original Score, and one for Special Achievement in Visual Effects, which, of course, it deserved. We finally got one. 8.3 on IMDb, 82% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 94% audience score, 58 on Metacritic. Who cares? Truly, who cares, but still, what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) Nice job. Doing my best. Filmed uh, in Redwood National Park, California, Death Valley, Yuma, England, several other Arizona and California locations. Did you know, I just learned this as well, where they filmed all the stuff, speeder bike chase and everything, they actually knocked down all those trees. They were harvested. I don't know what is there now, but those trees are gone. So they actually had quite a bit of leeway when it came to... Like, I think they actually cut down some trees for the shooting of certain scenes to clear lanes and things like that. It's pretty sad. Maybe they, like, found a place that was scheduled for logging or something so that they would be allowed to do what they needed to do for production. Scheduled for termination. (laughs) (laughs) Does anyone have a memory of seeing this for the first time? Did anyone see it in a theater? We're all about the same age. No? That was three. I don't think so. Maybe, though. Oh, you know what? Yes. I do recall. I don't remember it, but my mom said that we, she and I were waited in line at the Regency AMC theater. I don't know if it was AMC back then, but the Regency theater here in Jacksonville, Florida, where I live, we waited in line and she was like super bummed because my dad was way late from work, like getting there to meet us to get in. And my dad's like, did I make it? Did I get there? Did we see the movie? Last night, this was his thing. And she was like, yes, you did. He's like, so what's the problem? But uh, yeah, so we apparently, they took me to see it in the theater like on opening weekend when I was three years old. That's awesome. I don't know how you feel about toddlers in a movie theater, but I was one. (laughs) I mean, for the sake of your memory, you're stoked. Yeah, man. I'm the same way. I was, my dad took me when I was three. I have no memory of it, but I'm stoked to say that I was there. I have no memory. And the story he always told was we went with his best friend at the time who I think he was like six, six foot nine, huge dude. His son was like seven feet tall. And my dad said that for like the next three years after that, I always called him Chewy, his friend, his tall friend. That's my little memory. Again, I have no memory of seeing it actually, you know, being there, but I do remember the Christmas after I have this like really vivid memory of two things. One, all I got was Star Wars stuff and all of my figures lined up along the piano in my living room. Instead of wrapping them, my parents just lined them up. And then I also got one of the cheap kind of just like the lightsabers that they're in the box, the display box. It's just cardboard. It's got a bunch of them like baseball bats, you know? Yeah. I got one of those kind. The top of it was cut in a way so when you would swing it, it would actually, you know, because it had had this like crosshair on it. 80s tech. And I was swinging it around next to the Christmas tree and I would swing it and then I'd look out the window and then swing it again, you know, not paying attention. I'm like... Is someone like cutting their lawn outside? And my dad's like, no, wave it again. And I did it. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I don't know why I had that memory, but I was just so oblivious to the fact that I was making the noise with the lightsaber. (laughs) And that's my childhood memory. Oh, is that, can you guys see that? Oh, that's so cute. Nice. (laughs) That's like age three or four. So that I got, must've gotten that t-shirt like on release of the movie. Oh my gosh. That's such a sweet photo. That's a great t-shirt. We need to post that. My my first memory is not from seeing the movie. I, I remember going to the right to Disney's MGM Studios because it was MGM Studios at the time. Now it's Hollywood Studios, but uh, it was the week that Star Tours opened at the park, and I remember um, just riding the ride and getting a plush Ewok 
and I loved that plush Ewok. So I don't have a picture, and the Ewok, unfortunately, disappeared. I don't have it anymore, but I remember just loving that Ewok. That's my, that's kind of the only memory I have, or first memory I have of Return of the Jedi. Sweet. I thought all these years I was having like a false memory because <laughs> I for sure have a memory of seeing Jedi in the theaters, but I always assumed it had to be a fake memory because it came out in 83. I'm I'm a born in August, so I would have been, you know, two in May of 83. But upon further review, there was a re-release in 1985. Mm. So that's what I actually remember is going to the theater to see it in 1985. So this is the only one I saw sort of around, you know, in that era, seeing it in a theater. Like you said, we're all kind of the same age here. This wow, this was my favorite movie growing up. And same. this still is my, f- if I want to be in a good mood, I watch Return of the Jedi. This one has the most positive like memories yeah. for me. I wore it out. Wore that VHS out, man. (laughs) Well, let's get into um, some stuff. Let's talk about some characters and things and then get into some segments. So Disney Plus description says, again, with spoilers all over, when the Empire prepares to crush the Rebellion with a more powerful Death Star, the Rebel fleet counters with a massive attack on the space station. In a climactic duel, Luke Skywalker confronts Darth Vader. It's a lot of spoilers, bro. Hey man, when talk to your people, Ashley. If you're like five, six, and you're figuring out how to read, and you read that, like, where's the fun in that? That's a, that's it. I guess I don't need to watch that. Yeah. I guess they're assuming everyone's watched it at this <laughs> yeah, point. They right. Are. Yeah. The Empire description says Darth Vader's definitely not Luke's dad. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole thing. So Luke, at this point, it's been only a year in the Star Wars canon timeline between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, but. I'm assuming from all the the training with Yoda and everything that followed, Luke is almost like a a different person. He's in Mm. full Jedi mode, very refined, confident. He's got this stoic vibe about him, super well-spoken. I mean, we see the contrast here in the film right away when Han is thawed out of carbonite saying, I guess he's talking to Chewie, right? When they throw him down in the thing. Chewie says Luke's a Jedi and he's like, Luke's crazy. He can't even take care of himself. You know, I mean, Han's been out of it for a year, but a lot of stuff has changed. So... When he first rolls up to Jabba's palace, he's doing Jedi mind tricks. He gives that whole monologue, even in the the hologram that he sends him. He's very just like, here's what's going to happen. I'm in charge now. I'm the powerful Confidence. one. And it's so, so much cooler now, having seen all the stuff that we got in Clone Wars about Jabba, knowing more about that character, especially when um, he says his name. He says, I'm, I'm Luke Skywalker. And you see Jabba's eyes open like... Oh, weird. Yeah. He's thinking something there. He's. You have to wonder if he has heard that there is a, a Skywalker or how common the name Skywalker is. Like we talked about Kenobi, like how is Ben Kenobi really hiding in the desert? Is Kenobi like Smith there? Are there so many <laughs> that it's like not a thing? Is that a Skywalker thing as well? But nonetheless, you see that reaction. It's kind of sweet. And then Leia, not as much character development, but she's still a powerful, respected leader. She's still, she's calling shots. She seems to be feeling more of a connection to the Force. I guess we really only have those two special moments, but she seems like more mindful in a way. Did anybody else get that vibe Yeah, in this I, one? I feel like Han and Leia both, I didn't even mention Han yet, but I feel like both of them in this film had a little bit harder time finding a spotlight, if that makes sense, yeah. because of the central focus on Luke and his journey here and the mm-hmm. idea that, all those things you mentioned, I mean, it's just a complete transformation. Like for that to happen in a year, the dude got the call map and started meditating. You know I mean? Like something, <laughs> yeah. something dramatic shifted his mental focus for that. Watching it again, 
realizing that like wow they, they had to write Han and Leia like in where they could yeah. because it, so much focus was on Luke and Vader I mean it had to be done that yeah. was the story yeah but Han like you said um he's been frozen in carbonite for a year so he hasn't had much time to develop in there but <laughs> right away I think just waking up from that experience and hearing Leia's voice it seems like he's matured emotionally there's that moment on Endor when after Luke reveals the sibling relationship and Han walks up and he's clearly kind of bummed. He thinks there's something romantic going on, whatever. And they, they have that little spat. He turns around and he apologizes. He's clearly like more. He's being very undude. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's very different. It's a grown up Han. He says, I love you to her. She responds sure accordingly. does. Lando, fully part of the Rebel Alliance. He's a general. No more shady crime stuff. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Vader, to me, this is like, again, it's, it's the Vader and Luke story here. This is as compelling as anything. And, and this is even more compelling to me now, having finally finished all of Clone Wars. I just finished today, by the way. Ooh. Apologies. It's all good. I've done a lot of crying today. Um, <laughs> but like in a way, he's so much more ruthless and so much more in charge. And then the other side of him is just so much more downtrodden and defeated and just like resigned to his fate as Palpatine's dog on a leash. Mm-hmm. And there, there's some moments in the interactions with Luke where, and we'll talk about it later, where he really just saying things like it's useless to resist and this is the way it is. You're going to go down the dark path and everything's going to suck and you're going to be like me. It's heavy stuff. <laughs> we become our parents, they say. Yeah. He's also, the cool thing is he, at the same time, like testing his limits with Palpatine almost. He says straight up, my son is with them. He's referring to Luke as his son. Mm-hmm. And then Palpatine, a few lines later, says, I wonder if your feelings on this matter are clear. Where are you going with this, bro? Right. It's an interesting dynamic. This is something we've talked about. Like, was this spelled out clear enough or not throughout the original trilogy? Vader's underlying idea that he was going to undermine the Emperor and take over with Luke, while at the same time the Emperor was thinking that Luke could destroy Vader and take over because maybe— We've talked about, like, was he sensing all this stuff from Vader, you know? The, all along, was he sensing this sort of good that Luke could sense in him, those kind of things. So he's like, okay, well, this has run its course. And I think you see some of that, but we've talked about how, like, some of that probably could have been focused on even more, the, the kind of plot between the two of them. Yeah. But if you're listening to the podcast, go back and listen to the episode we did about the replaced dialogue in The Empire Strikes Back mm. when they put Ian McDermott in. Um, yeah. They changed the dialogue to sort of usher that idea in the concept of them kind of undermining each other and the power of the two Sith that there can only be two and that all that stuff. So it's also lots of great stuff in the comics that started dropping in 2015 or whatever. And I think between Ashley, you could speak on this, the clone wars, comics, the prequels, Palpatine's never not manipulating. So once Vader is Vader, why would the manipulation stop? Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, it keeps going and the Sith having a rule of two, I think at some point in this movie, the decision was for Palpatine, is Luke going to be my new apprentice and Vader's out of the picture? Or the other side of it is, is Palpatine out of the picture and it's going to be Vader and Luke, but under the Sith umbrella. I think that that's in there. But I mean, really the point I I want to make is the manipulation never ends with Palpatine. It's just, it's constantly there. So even through this original trilogy up until return of the jedi he's still manipulating vader at that point always in control i think too like what's crazy to me imagining being in your shoes ashley knowing the things you got to experience through the clone wars and the storylines you got to be like whoa that's what that's about and that's 
the idea that you were such a fan your whole life and then you got this role, it's like that's just <laughs> to be someone who loved it as much as we as you did and I did when we were little kids rolling around on the floor playing Star Wars with our parents or whatever. And then to get to be immersed in the storylines, like from that creative point of view, it's crazy. Yeah. It's like me getting to play bass in Metallica. <laughs> Actually, Metallica is a really big metal band. Um, <laughs> Hey, I, I did know that. Okay, I'm just um, kidding, I'm just kidding. Oh, no, but it's it's actually, that's why my friends make fun of me. You, you should double check okay. because I once got to play in a um, celebrity baseball game at Dodger Stadium. This was years ago, but I was like posing for a photo with this guy that like kept sticking his tongue in my ear. You know, he didn't actually touch it with his tongue, but like he was like right up next to my face, sticking his tongue in my ear. And I was so confused and like kind of mad about it. I'm like, who is this guy? Like, this is really inappropriate. But I felt awkward because everyone was snapping photos. So I just stood there and smiled. Well, it turns out it was Gene Simmons. And (laughs) I I had no clue. I had no clue. So that is amazing. (laughs) You can't be in a space without his tongue out. It wasn't about you. No. So, so yes. Don't don't just assume that I I know. I'm telling you, I have a lot to learn. That's actually so, not true, though. Um, he probably was trying to stick his tongue in your ear, and it's disgusting, and you should have smacked him upside the head. He's also gross. He wasn't practicing social distancing, but he didn't actually <laughs> touch my ear. But um, I will say, I thought I understood Star Wars before I became the voice of Ahsoka. Little did I know how little I actually knew until I started learning from Dave Filoni and, you know, essentially George Lucas. And before every episode that we would record, we would get you know, a 20 to 30 minute episode breakdown. And Dave would go into great detail about what happened in each episode and why it happened and why it was important for the overall story. And so I literally got like a masterclass on Star Wars through those episode breakdowns for the past 14 years. I am still far from an expert, but to learn about the force through, you know, we did a trilogy called the Mortis Trilogy. And, you know, to learn about the Force through that and to hear, you know, Dave break it down, it's it's really fascinating. And, I mean, those are my favorite moments. So awesome. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing what the Clone Wars has been able to bring to the original trilogy, the prequels. It really is like the glue that makes everything heavier than what you just see. And, and that's why I talk about it so much because it, it literally has made me love Star Wars more than I already did. It's a lifelong passion of mine. And something that came out, you know, fairly recently has actually just made my love for it grow exponentially. And and that has so much to do with, I mean, your character, Ahsoka, made me love Anakin so much more. And I'll probably make this point later. I don't even see Vader anymore. I only see Anakin. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, heartbreaking, especially in this movie where he's talking to his son. I don't see it as Vader anymore. I see it as Anakin. And that's where just like my heartstrings are pulled because I just no longer see a bad guy. I see a manipulated guy. That's all that I see. I just got goosebumps thinking about that, <laughs> the one scene that we're going to talk about. Let's get into um, this next segment here. A certain point of view. Many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. There's this podcast called Script Notes that I listen to quite a bit. I keep referencing. It's about screenwriting. And they have an episode called What's the Plan Anyway? These guys are actually friends with Larry Kasdan. They've had him on a couple times. They just did um, an Empire Strikes Back episode with him. But they have this great episode where they talk about the 
essentially like the first act of this movie. And they're really asking the question, what was the plan? What was Luke's plan? All this stuff unfolds and it's so convoluted. And so <laughs> it seems like it's just like failure after failure after failure. But in the end, R2 there with the lightsaber and it all pans out really well, even though it couldn't have possibly been planned that way. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. It's not available to actually listen. There's a transcript because, of, you know, their paywall and everything, but it's great. But the couple details that I noticed on my rewatch, Lando gives Leia a look, just kind of, you know, tips the uh, little mouthpiece right there. Like, hey, it's me. So apparently she didn't know he was going to be there. He like approaches her right as everything's about to go down. Number one, the question is, did she really not know? Two, how long had Lando been there to set this whole thing up? Because he's just chilling in the palace like... Don't worry worry about me. I'm just here, you know. And then he's part of this whole thing. It makes me think, did Leia go there on her own to try to get Han out? Like a separate plan? Or was it kind of like, hey, you go try, and if that doesn't go well, we'll show up later. Lando's already going to be there. Plan A, plan B, plan C kind of thing. You know what I mean? Can we call Danny Ocean next time? Like, can <laughs> I think they inserted Lando for, like, for intel. Yeah. You know, and Chewie stayed behind until Leia got there. The plan of the thermal detonator was clear, like I'm going to roll in. And, and I think that was probably where it ended for plan A, right? Like, yeah. I'm going to threaten this. I'm going to sneak him out of here in the middle of the night and we're good. Game over. But then Chewie would have been in the cell still. So how does that, how do you get him out? Right. Oh, we need Danny Ocean. This is a yeah. true thing. We're going to do a whole podcast on just this right here. <laughs> for me, though, after rewatching that scene uh, or just the whole beginning, my takeaway is thank goodness for R2-D2. Always, I mean, if yeah. you think about it, in many ways, R2, R2-D2 is the hero yep. yeah. of this saga. You know, he's he's always there to save the day. I mean, I agree. I, I, it is a little confusing what their plan was. And there's just always that, like, sigh of relief of, like, oh, thank goodness R2's there. Yeah. yeah. And you, you recognize that early on with the orange shag carpet. Yeah. You knew. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. There are so many moments you can just imagine him sighing frustratedly, just like, oh, come on, move. Just, I have a plan. Please move to 3PO. <laughs> like at all times. Just get in the thing. Get in the thing. Yeah. Next, Leia in a bikini. This is definitely not aged all that well. Welcome to 1983, everybody. Yeah. I mean, they take this strong female lead and sexualize her in a way that has had pretty gross fallout i think over the years obviously i was three we were all very young when this came out i was never like the leia in a bikini fetish dude ever leia and carrie fisher have always been like a very maternal kind of figure for me you know so i always had that emotional connection this was never really a thing for me i'm gonna get all choked up um you know what i mean like that that's that's who she was for me i think that okay so that is a thing right our generation males in our generation thinking like they had the hots for Princess Leia. And you ask yourself if they hadn't sexualized her, as you say, in this way, would that have still been a thing or would it have right. been more yeah. common to have that sort of maternal influence, you know? And, and I don't know that we'll ever know the answer to that. It's, it's a really interesting and strange twist in the, strange choice. In the st- story that they decided to do that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. The Slave Leia outfit is one that has been discussed a lot, especially, um, you know, with my company, Her Universe. We've never designed anything inspired by the Slave Leia costume. And and I've come close several times because as fangirls, it is an iconic costume. And Princess Leia is an iconic character. So why would we leave it out? I don't have a great answer for that. Because on one hand, I would make the argument, 
you know, Princess Leia is, in my opinion, the original self-rescuing princess. She didn't need the guy to come save her. She was able to take care of herself. And for little girls, I mean, for generations, that's been incredibly empowering. In this movie alone, especially in the Slave Leia costume, I mean, she kicked butt. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she killed Jabba. Yeah. And, and, in many ways, you could look at her in that costume, and while Jabba tried to take her power away, she took it back. Right. And, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and she killed him. And, and the costume is, you know, maybe just a symbol of what he was trying to do to her. But she's like, no, I'm, I'm taking my power back. And so on one way, you can argue that scene for her and that moment for her is actually a very empowering moment. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. the way... I've kind of looked at it, and so I've made the argument of, well, why wouldn't we design something inspired by that costume? Because for me, that's the memory I'm choosing to take from it, is that she took her power back in that scene. So hopefully one day we'll design something. I will say I did this past year get to go to the archives at Skywalker Ranch, and I got to see all of the original costumes, including this one, including the Slave Leia costume, and it's incredible. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And to see the jewelry that she wore, I have to tell you, probably one of my favorite accessories in all of Star Wars are the earrings that she wore. You don't even see them, but they're like Mm -hmm. two, almost like daggers that go around her ear. And um, they're just, they're really cool earrings. So yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a big argument, that scene in that costume. But my takeaway is that it's a hugely empowering moment for her. I do see a decent movement, I don't know if you want to call it, and it kind of comes from like the collectible world where they're almost trying to rebrand the quote-unquote Slave Leia as Hut Slayer Leia, which is way more empowering. And I think that that's a good step in the right direction of what you talk about of taking her power back where she takes out the big bad of that whole first act and Mm -hmm. it shouldn't matter what she's wearing and just taking away the, the negative connotations of Slave Leia as big and powerful hut slayer leia 30 almost 40 years after return of the jedi came out like you said it's an empowering moment as opposed to the other way around and i think just even just a rebrand of saying hut slayer is, mm-hmm. is yeah. a step in the right direction i just had potentially a great idea <laughs> whatever outfit you design whether it's a swimsuit with a beach bag accessory or uh, something else which is a normal shoulder bag whatever you should make a bag that is a chain strap and the bag is Jabba and it goes around his neck and his tongue's hanging out. <laughs> great. Oh, and, and we'll call it the Hut Slayer bag. I like yes. it. Yes. There you go. <laughs> See, you guys should be designers. I mean. For her universe. You have our information. You can contact us. <laughs> you know where to reach us. <laughs> All right. This one is tough. Obi-Wan's account of young Anakin in the conversation on Dagobah. How do we reconcile? And we have to like make an effort here to, Reconcile the absence of Qui-Gon. Well, was there a Qui-Gon in, in Lucas's mind, in, in his mind yet? I mean, there wasn't, but there's always some headcanon or some retconning that can be done to make it all make sense. Mm-hmm. I've always done this kind of stuff where I don't want to be on the side of, oh, it's stupid. They blew it. <laughs> I want to make it make sense for myself to improve the experience. So how can we do that? Well, okay. I want to preface this by saying I was never in the writer's room when they wrote these episodes of Clone Wars. But George Lucas was. And, you know, the Clone Wars, and 
I mean, I guess in many ways, was his final project for Star Wars. And it was truly a passion project for him. I mean, they would have a writer's summit at the beginning of each season, and, and he was a part of it. And it was just an intense, like, week where they put down all the episodes and the storylines and the characters that were going to be in them. And and he was, you know, obviously a, a huge part of it and had to sign off on it. So uh, what I do know is that there were a lot of new characters and new storylines that they put in there that helped make everything make sense. Mm-hmm. So Adam, to your point, you, there's a lot of newness that he wasn't necessarily, he didn't have in mind back in the day, but they made it work and they made it make sense. So again, that's just my certain point of view (laughs) (laughs) is, you know, knowing the little bit that I know is that, yes, there was a lot of, of newness that they created, but it was very important that it made sense. And, and George Lucas was a part of it. And, And a lot of times he would share, you know, Hey, this has always been in his mind. This was always his intention. And it's it's amazing, you know, how much he had connected the dots and how much he had always planned to tell. I mean, from what I've heard, he was always planning to tell the Clone Wars. So, you know, he might have just been saving things for later. So so who knows? I think it's a it's a mix of both. It's stuff that was always in his mind and then stuff that, you know, they made up and just kind of connected the dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at that time, the principles were in the script, you know? I mean, it was Obi-Wan and Yoda and the idea of Anakin and Luke. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think they just weren't writing these off-screen character names yet. If you think about the trilogy in general, what what were some of the, or if any, maybe I'm blanking, you know, characters we hadn't met that they were listing by name in the original trilogy. They weren't, like, expanding that far quite yet. Yeah. Here's a thought. I feel like I, this was in something from the now legends expanded universe stuff where I think Obi-Wan at some point, he said to Luke, like, I have to go. My time is done. You know, as part of the living force, I have to move on and truly become one with the cosmic force. And Luke was kind of alone from that point. I could imagine that they would maybe use that still. And maybe at some point by this point, maybe we'll see this in the Obi-Wan series. Maybe Qui-Gon has now moved on. He's no longer communicating through the living force with living people. So it's someone that Luke would never have been able to interact with. It's someone that would just maybe make the story more confusing to Luke. And nothing that Obi-Wan said about his relationship with Yoda was wrong. I mean, Yoda was his master. He did train him as a youngling, like Yoda did with all the others. So it's almost like um, unnecessary detail, maybe, to talk about Qui-Gon, if we want to really think about how to make this make sense. You know what I mean? Right, to not get into Luke going, wait, who? Who's that? Yeah. Because then you got to write all that. Where is he? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it wasn't about that. He wasn't ready to tell that story. Just like he knew he was always going to tell the Clone Wars, but aside from the line where Luke says, you fought in the Clone Wars, aside from that, he wasn't going to expand on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, little detail. I don't want to hit all of these, but there's, of course, been criticism of they're just being another Death Star, like, okay, cool, real cool original idea, George. You know, people from the beginning were bummed on that. I always thought it was awesome. I thought the second one looked even cooler. Half-built, looks so dark and sweet yeah, dude. evil. It's finding something to complain about. I don't know that a lot of people know how much bigger the second Death Star was. It was over 400 times bigger than the original Death Star. Yeah, like the, the original one could just, like, spin around in the dish of the big one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's true. It's like a marble in the museum thing where you yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah I, know, I think star killer base deserves way more 
criticism than the second Death Star if, if we're going to go if yeah. we're going to go there and we're not. I go, you know, and if I could put my apologist Star Wars apologist hat on real it's a quick. great hat. <laughs> Just think about our timeline, like how many improvements have there been on a gun? There's still a gun, but how many improvements, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So you want to blow up a planet, you probably have to build something. And that why would you not like a- build a newer, more improved version of the most badass weapon that yeah. it wasn't, now we know in canon, it wasn't your fault that it got blown up. It was a rogue mm-hmm. scientist. So, okay, we're going to make sure that doesn't happen again and build an even bigger, more badass one. Guns, mm-hmm. more, bigger, weapons, ammo. Mm-hmm. Case closed. <laughs> I'm going to skip a couple here. Uh, this is the big one. People older than us, lots of people, really were not stoked on the Ewoks. They've been criticized as being just a, a marketing play to sell toys, mm-hmm. criticized for there being no way that they could have possibly defeated anyone with a blaster or with a, an ATSD. none of that. I get it, and I get it more now as an adult, mm-hmm. but I do have some—I I can argue against that, but I'll let you guys talk first if you have thoughts. I mean, Ugh. yeah, let's go, plushy Ewok. <laughs> well, I, I do remember it was at a Star Wars celebration back in 2012 or 2013. George Lucas shared the story that when they were developing Return of the Jedi, I guess he wrote on a chalkboard or a big whiteboard when he was talking about the Ewoks, he wrote on the board, he said, dare to be cute. And I don't fully remember his story that he shared on that panel, even though it was a good one. Um, I feel like you'd be team Ewok if you if you heard him tell the story. But, you know, what I do know is that George Lucas has shared time and time again, in his mind, Star Wars is for kids. And, you know, I think for that reason, you have to watch Star Wars with a kid filter. You know, for me, I love the Ewoks. I was a kid. When I watched it, you know, if you ask a lot of fans today that were kids when they watched episode one, they love Jar Jar. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they, they just did. And so, you know, just like you ask a lot of kids, you know, in this new generation of films, they love the Porgs. They love, you know, they love those those cute creatures. And, you know, George Lucas said, dare to be cute because he knew that kids would like it. And so I think that's kind of like the biggest argument in general when it comes to Star Wars, where a lot of the adult fans want it to be dark and they want it to be heavy. But George Lucas, you have to go back to his original intention. And, you know, he felt that Star Wars was for kids. And so you really have to look at it from that certain point of view. Ashley, you just shaved 15 minutes of me ranting off of this episode of the podcast. (laughs) So thank you. I've talked about that from the inception of this little show we have about the kid filter and trying to remember when we get into the conversations about toxic fandom and people wanting it to be darker than it is remembering that you once had that kid filter and that these films were from George Lucas's childlike mind, the place in his mind. And so I 100% agree with you. And also anyone that starts to feel these feelings of anger and aggression and hatred which are the path to the dark side, <laughs> just watch Rogue One. There's nothing cute. Just watch it. You'll feel great. Yeah. And it works every time. Yeah. So just remember the kid filter and then watch Rogue One. And it will eliminate so many problems on the internet. Yeah, that's the prescription. You get one dose of this, one dose of this. Yep. You're good yep. tomorrow. That's it. I'm done. Uh, growing up, I, I never really thought of it one way or the other. They were part of the story. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I was of age where... I didn't like them because I thought they were cute. I thought they were an integral part of the final act of like the mm-hmm. Battle of Endor. So they were a plot device. They didn't affect me one way or the other. 
I still bought all the toys. Well, yeah. I didn't buy them. My parents did. Yeah, my, my Ewok <laughs> Village was my favorite set piece oh, style so toy that I had, for sure. I, I Hours of playing with Star Wars figures revolved around my, my Ewok Village. It's, it's Absolutely. I'll go get it before we hang up if you want. I, I know right where it is. <laughs> when you talk about the, the village, my two points are... Their whole village, all those tree structures, those are sophisticated structures. They're like this little Stone Age kind of species in society. But, I mean, they've got crude machines. They've got trebuchets and catapults, and they've got these big, elaborate dwellings. So they're not just running around in the weeds throwing spears. They're pretty sophisticated, even though they're small. And they're also, yeah, they're cute, but they're legit savages. It's not like they're just hunting other furry animals and eating them, like hunting deer and stuff. They meet people halfway communicate with them and then kill them and roast them and eat them you know they're like these little like horror movie kind of like gremlins or uh what's the other one i mentioned critters those you know the movies from the 80s yeah so it's like oh look how cute you are and then you get ripped in half and then finger off yeah exactly (laughs) and you think about like leia you know got in good with them and everything worked out for her but where did they get that dress that they gave her they ate that lady. Wherever the clothes came from that, that they're giving Leia, that lady's dead and eaten and been pooped out by Ewoks. They're savages. Uh, and if you look at it like that, it's even more twisted. They had an exact scale of Leia dress sitting around. Yeah, just one. Maybe it was the mom from the Ewok movie in the oh. 80s. Oh, there you go. They probably ate her, too. Dark. She didn't die of natural causes. This one bugs me. I hadn't heard this, but I listened to a podcast the other day. Someone, I guess it was in a review an actual critic review right after the movie came out, talking about the, the reveal uh, when Vader's mask was taken off being anticlimactic and just, like, it should have been big, like the I am your father moment, but it was just not. And whoever Joker. that person is, get out of here. What? What? Wrong. Yeah, no. It's mm-hmm. one of the most impactful moments in my cinematic journey as a human Same. being. I'm, like, covered in goosebumps. It was, like, so <laughs> emotional and, like, just devastating. The sound. Dude, the sound of the, like, valves opening when he reaches back to take off the helm, it's just—he's wrong. That's just wrong. Plus, the whole idea is for it to kind of be anticlimactic because he's this big, powerful, evil villain, and you take the helmet off, and he's just this frail old man. Yeah. That's the point. I'll say one thing, though. Special edition changes. I'm really bummed that we lost the Yub Nub song, the Ewok song at the end. Yep. Still in my head. <laughs> okay. I have a question. Is it Yub Nub or Nub Nub? Ooh. Um, I've always thought yub nub. I've always thought, but I but I've never put more than five seconds of thought into it. So I don't know. Is there a debate? Uh, there is a debate because I believe, and most of the internet would agree with me that it's yub nub. And I, you know, just rewatched the movie and I heard yub nub. But so we submitted a shirt because every single design we do, we have to submit for approval, yeah. and uh, we submitted a shirt. That said Yub Nub with an Ewok. And we had to change it because they said the correct phrase is Nub Nub. And I'm like, but no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) It's Yub Nub. So to me, it's a debate. And I I don't think it's solved. I wonder if it's one of those things where, I mean, clearly there were lyrics because somebody recorded this, I'll call them lyrics, right? So they were on paper somewhere, but it could very well be the kind of thing where they're doing 20 takes of it, and there's a whole group of people doing all these different takes. They might have just sang it wrong, and regardless of what's on paper, they sang what they sang. So, like, no, the script says nub-nub. Sorry. (laughs) I would say that I I don't have a great way to—I hate to end the segment on my part 
with this because I don't have a great positive spin on this, but the new versions of the films, you know, the, the re-releases, the pre prequel releases of the original trilogy, the stuff they did at the end of Jedi, I can't get behind it. I don't know when you want to get into this debate, Adam, but the, yeah. the switching of the actors at the end. I think the changes, no matter what, are going to mess with nostalgia. I think adding more planets does make so much more sense because they didn't just win over this one moon. It was a win for the whole galaxy. Agreed. So, agreed. so I've been cool with that. But losing the song really messes with the nostalgia, like the experience. I, I agree. It's like I understand the concept of the more planets, but and it maybe just didn't age, you know it didn't age because like that's the thing about watching it as your as a kid and watching it now. It probably looked awesome when I saw it in in high school. Yeah. You know. I guess you just said that. You know, it was the whole galaxy celebrating, and Yub Nub was very specifically an Ewok on Endor song. So yeah. I get wanting to change it, but you just didn't replace it with something better. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. So. It's like, we got to ditch November Rain, but we'll give you this song by Nickelback instead. <laughs> so they did change it because of the planetary, right? I mean, that, they changed it to be like an anthem for the whole galaxy, right? Right, rather that was than the idea. a planet-specific, language-specific thing, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. copy that. Which I get. Still, someone walked into the room and said, yeah, that man, that sound, that's ripping. That sounds great. That's the one. That's the song we're going But with. But rewatching it last night, I actually enjoyed it more than I had previously. So, like, they, but they kept the, like, theme of the Endor indigenous tribal Kind of similar vibes, yeah. Right? Why? If, you're, if it's going to be, like, a star, just go, let, let John Williams take the reins and rip a big Star Wars ending anthem. Like, why keep it, like, everybody dancing around the fire? Dude, you know what, though? But not the song you remember. We you can know? really speak to this because I, I can talk about one experience that I've had in the studio where the producer says, the person making the decisions says, this part doesn't work. You need to write a different part. And the original part you wrote in the song, it was in an inspired moment and made sense. And then someone tells you to write something else. And it's really hard to get back in that headspace and write something as good or better. Mm -hmm. there, there was a solo on Ryan, your favorite song, my band, Wake Up. Ryan Phillips wrote this ripping, awesome solo. But it, in hindsight, it was a little too much. He went full Eddie Van Halen mode. It was too much. So Feldman said, you need to chill it out, write something else. And he tried a few different things and was just not, not capturing that same energy. So the thing he ended up putting in was like really good, but not the same energy. And I can hear it in his playing. It's just not, he wasn't making the face. What do you make when you're ripping a solo when he was recording that? So I bet John Williams felt something similar. Like, okay, I'll, I'll write something else. I'll try to make it like that. But he wasn't in the same headspace. Yeah. Necessarily. For sure. Boring music stuff. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> okay. The important thing. No, I'm, I'm okay. fascinated by it. I just, I feel like I have a lot to learn before I can weigh in on the music. Well, we need you to weigh in on this next non-musical debate. Hayden Christensen in, Sebastian Shaw out of the Force Ghost moment. The idea being, of course, that since Anakin Skywalker died when Vader was born, that... Anakin turning back to the light side of the force, he would restore his original state there. And that, that is the true Anakin that, that Obi-Wan knew and, and, and so on. But there is the ambiguity that Ryan brought up earlier. Well, if you turn back, wouldn't your age then, at the moment that you turn back, be the one? Or not? I don't have a great answer for it. But to me now, I'm like, Nick, I've watching the Clone Wars and everything. I have so many more vibes for the prequels that seeing Hayden Christensen there made me tear up. And it worked for me. Same. Well, you said something when we were prepping for the show about Return of the Jedi having sort of a twofold meaning that I had never read about or thought about that, that Luke is returning as the first Jedi in 
a generation or two, and Anakin is returning as a Jedi at the end. So by that logic, if that is something that was in mind when titling the film and writing the film, then Hayden Christensen doesn't work because, to me because Vader, Anakin returns as a Jedi and he would just be a force ghost the way he was in the original film. So therefore, I'm not playing just the nostalgia card. I just don't think it works. And I think Anakin died an old man in his son's arms. That's who I want to see. The sage, old, final ending resting place of Anakin Skywalker. Not Goldilocks, Hayden, beautiful, sweaty-chested Hayden Christensen. <laughs> but but I'm done. Go. Uh, you know, this is, this is something that I think because of my close, obviously, uh, relationship to the Clone Wars and to Anakin Skywalker, um, it's, it's never bothered me. Because to me, uh, Hayden Christensen is, that is my memory of Anakin Skywalker. So it's never bothered me. I, I understand both you know, sides and both points of view. I think, though, I, I think it doesn't bother me because that's the hero, Anakin. And I, I think Luke wants to know the hero side of his dad. So even though what he saw obviously was so special and, you know, that was obviously one of my favorite moments in Star Wars for sure. But I think he wants to know what his dad used to be. Yeah. Why, why do you have to make it all okay? <laughs> and also, I just thought as, as, you, as the two of you were, were talking, it's kind of like that, I don't know, I, I feel like this is in some religions referenced where you go to heaven in whatever like your purest, best form was, not in the old decrepit form that you were when you died. Okay, Adam, I kid you not, I was just about to say that. Oh, there we I go. I just had this conversation with my mom, and people may think I'm crazy for sharing this story, but my... My father-in-law, when he passed away, we knew the moment was coming. He passed away from cancer and he, he passed away at home. And we have a video and there was orbs in the video. And we also had a photo and, and going back and looking at that photo, you can see the outline of a ghost. And it's clearly from when he was younger. And I was just thinking that. I kid you not. It's like, well, you know, some people believe that. And that is around the age that people go back to. So now you guys think I'm officially crazy. Um, <laughs> no, it's all good. We're just going to have you back on the Ghostbusters podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't looking for it. I, I promise it. you. It's just one of those things. And and yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. So, okay. I'm going to go back to drinking my coffee now. <laughs> well... We definitely don't think you're crazy. We're three grown men who spend multiple hours a week talking about a sci-fi fantasy that we've loved since we were fresh on the planet. So <laughs> belief is, is a powerful thing. And if you see something that you believe in, then it's, it's real. You know, I mean, there's no, I don't think there's any insanity there at all. There's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, one more gripe here, really. And that's the unceremonious passing of Boba Fett in this yeah. movie. <laughs> just bye. Yeah. It's it's pretty it's yeah, it's pretty bad. But can I just say that Jeremy Bullock is one of the nicest, kindest people on this planet. That's awesome. That's great. There is a reoccurring uh thing with all behind the scenes actors and producers, just players in Star Wars all being total sweethearts and, and just good people. And I know we kind of touched on it before, but it really is good to know that something that we all hold so dear is it's in good hands. Do you think that the fate of Boba Fett and the way that it ended unceremoniously is similar in Kazan and Lucas's mind to what Phasma's journey was in Ryan Johnson's mind? Because 
that was a big gripe with The Last Jedi, and yeah. it was one of the respo- a response he gave to that gripe because he was very like positively engaged in responding to criticism of that film, and he made a great point saying, I know, I get it, and there's a story somewhere to be told about Captain Phasma, but this film was not her story, Yeah, mm-hmm. right? So where do we go with Boba Fett in the, in Act One of this film? Like where where do you? How does he get more involved? Yeah. How do you tell a cooler version of the story? I mean, maybe maybe the actual thirty seconds of his death weren't as climactic as they could have been, and that's that's mm-hmm. definitely up for discussion, up for debate. But in general, he served his purpose. He delivered Han to Jabba. He collected his bounty. He's on the scene, but he doesn't carry any weight with the rest of the story when it comes to the freaking return of the Jedi. Like there's, yeah. that's, it's like, so, you know, I, I, it's unfortunate, but I, I think it's a very close parallel to what happened with Captain Phasma in the last Jedi and the same criticism that came yeah, great. after it. Just weren't as concerned with, they weren't, they didn't care if he went out and looked punk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and what it came down to, to that said though, the, the idea that his character has inspired what it's inspired you know, for future generations of Star Wars fans. And we now have the first live action Star Wars show of all time based on his character and his people. Like, I mean, they've done what they can to for, for penance, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it is odd, I think. I, I never really had this in my mind, that whole first act, how much he's in it, but not doing much. Yeah, he kind of just point. ominously standing in the corner. Yeah, I never really noticed that. I don't know if you guys on rewatching it yeah. recently, like, noticed that. He's really just always in the corner mm-hmm. kind of doing things. And then once the barge battle happens is when he, he gets a little active. But yeah, it's a, unceremonious is the word I would use. Yep. It's all good. Let's move on. Over a thousand generations. It is the dark Saber. Oh gosh. It's a Kalikori. A Sith Wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. Welcome to the Den of Antiquities. This is pretty widely known, and there was um, a Family Guy, I want to say, um, episode yeah. yep. uh, done around this. The working title for the film was Blue Harvest with the tagline of <laughs> Horror Beyond Imagination. <laughs> Which was done to intentionally disguise the production so they didn't have people showing up, you know, trying to just kind of squash spoilers and also preventing price gouging by service providers that knew how huge Star Wars was and they were going to get hosed like somebody trying to book a wedding, double the venue price. So Blue Harvest became its, you know, whatever the equivalent to a meme is in the 80s. Can you imagine being whatever studio or soundstage or wherever you're getting booked and you you think you booked, uh, I guess we're doing this horror beyond imagination (laughs) movie, this starting production this week. Budget's freaking huge, but... Then Harrison Ford walks in. And then Harrison Ford and George Lucas walk in with their coffee. Hey guys, uh, welcome to the set of Blue Harvest. (laughs) Yep. Everyone, uh, change your pants. I know you all just pooped. (laughs) (laughs) Also... I don't know exactly when the change was made, but it was a, kind of a, like the 11th hour. Revenge of the Jedi was the original title. There were posters printed. It was, uh, it was a thing. And Lucas ultimately changed it to return because revenge is not a quality of the Jedi. It doesn't fit the Jedi's beliefs. It is a strong title, though. Yeah, and the, interesting that he let it ride that long. Yeah. For it not to initially, right away, have been like, no, I can't call it that. Like, revenge and Jedi, that those two words are not yeah. synonymous. Like, I don't... But, um, those, dude, those posters now go for who knows how much money. But you got to use revenge in Revenge of the Sith, which was perfect. That all worked out. This is cool. Nick, I think you told me this, or Kurt told me this last night. Luke's new lightsaber that he has for this film, because his went down the hatch with his hand, was originally going to be blue, but Lucas was afraid it would be confusing or people might think it was like a continuity error or 
you know, think he had blown it because his hand and the saber went down in Cloud City. So they changed kind of later on, you know, just changed it to green to make it obvious that it was something different. And there's also a deleted scene, which is really short. It's just like less than a minute where Luke's putting the final touches on his new lightsaber, kind of assembling right before he gives it to R2 and R2 and 3PO go to Jabba's palace. That scene's on YouTube, so it's worth a couple of seconds to watch. It's pretty cool. Yeah. You know how they shoot so much of that stuff non-linear? Like, they just shoot, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, we're shooting this, we're shooting this, and so much of it comes together in the editing bay. You wonder where that was planned to go. Like, I, I, I picture it at the very beginning, post-Death Star scene, just kind of an ominous, hooded Luke and a yeah. saber and R2. You know what I mean? Like, that would have been pretty sweet. It's a cool vibe. It's got a, a New Hope Tatooine vibe to it. It's a good little mm-hmm. scene. Another thing I just learned from you dudes, Palpatine was not original, well, the original casting was not Ian McDermott for this film. So a dude named Alan Webb was originally cast, but he bowed out of the role after getting the flu. Oh, man. That's a bad beat. (laughs) (laughs) Which allowed McDermott to take the role. And, I mean, we're all better off for that dude having the flu. We're so sorry, Alan. (laughs) <laughs> there was a, a bigger uh, bigger age discrepancy, too. Alan Webb, I think, was a much older British actor. So the fact that Palpatine, or McDermott, I should say, was uh, He is Palpatine. Younger, you can just... Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> McDermott, uh, you know, being the age he was, playing a much older role actually allowed him to be the proper age when they were shooting uh, the prequels, which it's is crazy luck. Best Man, coincidence ever, yeah. And that's another one of those, was it in his mind? Honestly, did it go as far as Mace Windu and the scene? in his chambers like was it that thought out was the the lightning and his disfiguration was that in his mind or was it just like he's way younger we have to make him look old and the makeup team brought him in and he was like yes he looks (laughs) awesome you know and like that was it and so then later on he was like okay we went pretty ham on that old man makeup how how are we gonna what is that you know how do we melt this dude in these movies yeah exactly (laughs) let's see kenny baker was supposed to play wicket but was sick as well. Was the flu just going around in the, the table read? Could be. So Warwick Davis's mother just answered a casting call for little people to play Ewoks, and he got the role, which worked Willow. out. You know they're making a Willow sequel? I'm going to do that every time yeah. you say his name. Yeah. I think. Worked out great because he brought this like new energy, apparently, to the character, and they had some issues with the masks. Like They just weren't moving well enough. The whole the costumes were really stiff. So he, being a little kid, was like, I'll do this, you know, and just started sticking his tongue out and making the mouth move. And that's when Lucas was like, that's it. It works now. So every time you see the little tongue come out in Wicked's mouth, it's Warwick Davis's little kid tongue for real. Oh, my goodness. What I have to say, uh, and I, I, I don't mean to sound name dropping because, like I said in the beginning, like Star Wars. Well, it's just Star Wars has become my family and Warwick Davis and his whole family. Again, genuinely some of the nicest people on the planet. But a funny story. So we have we have a shared friend um, that's a director that we both worked with at Disney. And, and um, him and his wife have two kids. And my husband and I are the godparents to their son. And Warwick Davis and his wife are the godparents to their daughter. And so we're kind of like we're shared godparents to this family. So we have a bond that we always kind of come together and see each other, you know, at at events at Disney or with the kids. But Warwick Davis is just genuinely not only one of the nicest, but one of the hardest working guys out there. Like he's such a professional, so hardworking and not surprised to hear that at, you know, such a young age, he was just 
defining this character. That's awesome. Yeah, I was shocked with uh, at Celebration last year. He was hosting, you know, most of those panels, and I was like, "What? I'm tired right now." I must, <laughs> yeah. How <is> Warwick? Like, <laughs> yeah, no that that is how he is. The other thing I was going to say, though, going back to Ian McDermott, this is kind of, and I don't know if there's an equivalent in music that this happens, but you know, there's kind of like the a, a dark side of Hollywood where people are recast a lot, and you know, the first six months of me being Ahsoka, I was terrified I was going to be recast because actually there was a different person voicing Anakin in the beginning and he had been the voice of Anakin for a couple months and he was recast and it broke my heart for him because I had been auditioning for voiceovers for four years before I got the voice of Ahsoka. Ahsoka was my first big voiceover role. Primarily I had been in live action before that and I had been cast in like two major roles before Ahsoka and I was recast in both of them and it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. but it, it happens a lot and it happens in you know in star wars all the time and here you are you think you have this incredible role and then it can just be gone like that yeah not to be a downer <laughs> no it's, it's brutal. No, i mean there's a there's a music equivalent like whether you know you quit your band and the band goes on to do well or you get kicked out of your band and the band goes on to do well there i would say that there's some sort of equivalency there for sure yeah and also probably like in the nashville scene you know and you know the pop scene touring musicians that get a big gig and then someone just doesn't vibe yeah. you know it's like you think you've gotten the gig of your life playing for whatever superstar playing bass or guitar or whatever you know on a world tour and then you're a month into it and some manager comes and is like sorry bud you gotta gotta pack your stuff um, I was going to say, I have, a, I have a positive one, Warwick Davis related, if anyone, this is totally not related to Star Wars at all, but it just popped in my brain. If you haven't watched An Idiot Abroad, which oh, yeah. there's only some of it's available on YouTube and then you have to buy the rest of it because it's like a Sky uh, UK show. So if you're in the mm-hmm. States, I guess you can't watch it all without buying it on iTunes, but it's like a dollar an episode. And the premise is Ricky Gervais and his friend, Stephen Merchant, send this kind of goobery friend they have named Carl Pilkington, who's like a celebrity in the UK now from this show around the world to do all of this stuff that he's just completely uncomfortable doing. Like he doesn't like to travel. He doesn't like to eat weird food. He, and they just make him do all this stuff. And Warwick Davis and Ricky Gervais are buds. And so at some point he comes into the show and it's just, it's just legendary. Warwick Davis and Carl are like traveling together. And I think Carl has his own show now after that. And Warwick is on it a lot or they had the show together or something. I don't know, but it's cool to see him in that way. Cause it's a different Warwick than you've known as wicked. <laughs> Speaking of actors and being recast, here's the opposite in the special edition. The, uh, the actor who played the Twi'lek, is it Twi'lek or Twi'lek? I've heard both. Ashley. Well, so I, I don't know for sure, but my answer to that, because I, I do, I would always ask Dave Filoni about pronunciation and, and the way that he described it is, it's just like the United States, wherever you're from, whatever state you're from, you have a different dialect, whether, mm-hmm. you know, you're from the South or from the East Coast, like we all say words differently. So he said, it's the same in Star Wars. People say words differently depending on where they're from. So probably some people say Twi'lek and some say Twi'lek. So yeah, that would probably be the answer. Makes sense. Well, we know that that. Han or Han just got explained in a big way. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for that. I've made a soft commitment, and I've already failed on this episode, to say Tatooine instead of Tatooine because that's how Luke pronounces it. Yeah, but everyone else says Tatooine, so it's maybe the more common. He's from there, though. You know what I mean? He's a local. 
It's like a uh, like Worcester, yep. Worcester, Mass. Yeah. You know, definitely not spelled that way. <laughs> or I, I was actually born in Louisville, Kentucky, and if there you're you from there, you say you say Louisville, Louisville. But if Louisville. you're not, you say Louisville. Yep. So yeah, the same same actor who played the Twilight Dancer, they brought her back for the special edition. Pretty sweet. Also, this isn't like a an Easter egg or anything, but I, I just love the miniature work that Phil Tippett did with the Rancor. It's just, it like really holds up. Some of the blue screen mm-hmm. stuff is a little weird, but like yeah. the actual look of the character. The mouth, the saliva in the mouth and stuff. It's, yeah. yeah. It holds up. But Phil Tippett as a, you know, the creature creator, the stop motion God that he is, go back and explore that dude's work. He's incredible. <laughs> this is a great one. Now it's a GIF. It's like in my, you know, Giphy app thing in my messages, like my number one thing, Luke's force kick. <laughs> he kicks the one dude on Jabba's sail barge as, as Boba Fett's going in the background. Yeah. He clearly misses the dude, but it's one of those Hollywood <laughs> kicks where right. it happens so fast, you, it doesn't matter. So now it's been kind of like retconned or explained or whatever headcanon as it, it's a force kick. <laughs> he didn't need to make contact. Yeah. Jedis don't contact yeah. unless they're fighting other Jedi. He doesn't want to mess up his boots. <laughs> this is cool. And I just learned this the other day. Ryan, spoiler, you can cover your ears if you want. Ashley, I haven't finished yet. I'm sorry. Uh, it, it, it's okay. I can forgive you. I I need to listen to all y'all's music. Okay. okay. So <laughs> I've heard some songs on Instagram. Very impressed. We'll make you a playlist. Yeah. Okay. Please yeah. do. <laughs> That's what the kids do these days. It's part of my training. <laughs> okay. Spoil me. So there are some, uh, it's two episodes, I guess. Two, three episodes, amazing stuff with Yoda in The Clone Wars, where he goes to Dagobah. He ends up talking with Qui-Gon. There's just all this awesome stuff. I'm just, I'm getting goosebumps right now. So his death in this movie, he knows it's coming. He knows it's what needs to happen. And everything about that experience is informed by his experiences on Dagobah before he originally went into exile there. So I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's listening who hasn't made it through Clone Wars yet, but it's great. So if you just listen to that, stop, unlisten to it, go back like 30 <laughs> seconds and then fast forward 30 seconds. But I mean, I spoiled it a little bit, but there's so much in there that um, I'm stopping the spoilers here. It's not completely okay. ruined. <laughs> go watch it. Let's see. Palpatine's name is never set on screen in the original trilogy, only in toys and books. He's just the emperor and my master. Yeah. Nor is the word Sith ever used. But there was mention of Sith like in Lucas's notes and stuff back in the day, right? I think the idea that, that they were establishing the force and the dark side and the rule of two, there was, you know, the Jedi was a much bigger force in the galaxy, much like much more well-known. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like we're more focused on learning about the dark side than Sith specifically. I think it probably goes into that of how much information do we want to give the audience? You yeah. Know? I don't know. Mm-hmm. At that point, again, it, it may have just been too much information for Luke from Obi-Wan and, and Yoda. Like, they're, they're just the bad guys. You don't need to know yeah, the details. Yeah. Makes sense. Another cool Easter egg kind of thing, I think, is connected to this film, but was like a big question related to the rise of Skywalker and the end of the entire Skywalker saga was the Emperor gets thrown down a shaft full of electricity and lightning and falls to his death. So what's happening? How is he here? And we we talked about in our Rise of Skywalker episode how that reveal was actually a little bit unfortunate where Poe was just like, we don't know. Like that's the answer, <laughs> you know? Uh, but in the novelization, 
uh, the Rise of Skywalker novelization, which has tons of amazing stuff like this in it. Um, it's just, it's explained and it's very cool. So if you don't know, it's revealed in the novel that, um, or if you didn't pick it up from the film, that the version we see of Palpatine in Rise of Skywalker is actually a clone that's been attempted many, many times. Uh, we learn in the novel that clones have a hard time holding the consciousness of a force-sensitive being. The bodies don't hold uh, the spirits or the souls or whatever you want to call them well. So they have trouble reincarnating him in that way because he's so unbelievably force sensitive being that you know he's the greatest sith lord of all time and everything so anyways in the novel referring to darth plagueis the wise and his death the quote is plagueis had not acted fast enough in his own moment of death but sidious palpatine sensing the flickering light in his appearance had been ready for years so the falling, dying emperor called on all the dark power of the force to thrust his consciousness far, far away to a secret place he had been preparing. His body was dead, an empty vessel, long before it found the bottom of the shaft, and his mind jolted to a new awareness in a new body, a painful one, a temporary one. So I get from that that he had the clone already. Clones on deck. He had a clone body of himself on deck ready to project himself into and and. I'm all for that explanation. I'll take it all day. Completely works for me. Thinking that 30 years later, that's what his clone body had turned into, you know, and he'd been hanging on all those wires and tubes while they were trying to make younger versions of him, who then ended up, as we now know, being Ray's father. And it just, it's all pretty great. So I don't know. I think that's Easter egg-ish related to Return of the Jedi. The lyric that I meant to say was stacks on deck, the clones on ice. <laughs> we can pop bottles all night and so on. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. This is all fun stuff, but let's move on to our favorite stuff that we love the most. I love you. I know. I'm going to get a flute so that I can <laughs> pretend like I'm playing that yeah. whenever we're doing this. Yeah, you do a little aqua lung while you're at it. Ron Burgundy, he has flute. <laughs> So actually, this is this is essentially our favorite scenes. We discuss a little bit. I mean, the list is so long, but we've kind of narrowed it down to each of our favorites and our favorite quotes. And you can chime in with yours if you have those, or we can just kind of discuss what we have down here. Either way, yeah, we may step on yours, but if we don't add yours to the list, who's going first? You can go first, Bill. <laughs> hey guys, uh, Bill Key here with my favorite scenes. <laughs> Bailey Key. <laughs> Bill Key is like my NPR late night like radio host. Yeah. <laughs> hey everybody, this is Bill Key here on NPR Radio. Looking <laughs> for the sickest smooth sounds of Bill Key's jazz twilight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am getting a flute. This is all, it's all coming together, man. <laughs> Making moves. Um, so I, I just feel like I'm stepping on everyone by doing this one first, but I will be pleasantly surprised if there's something that you know jumps out for everyone else more than this one, but. For me, this film is defined by the final battle, the duel between Luke and Vader, Luke's near demise, and Vader's turn to kill the Emperor. I'm putting that all in one scene. I know we're jumping around to the battle above Endor and the battle on Endor while this is all happening, but really not, not even the whole encounter with the Emperor and the whole time they're fighting. It's really that last phase when you see Luke truly have that Skywalker blood raging in him where he doesn't know if he's good or evil. He just knows that he is fighting, you know, and he kind of shifts to that primal sky.
Skywalker that we now have seen in the prequels happen all the time with Anakin. But, you know, I don't know. You've just never seen Luke like that. I mean, he's raging. He's, ra- yeah. he's raged. I was watching it last night going like, wow, I, I forgot how violent this scene is to see the young kid from Tatooine, you know, turn into this raging monster. So I, I don't know. That just that transition obviously is key to the finale and the culmination of everything we've learned as viewers. And that's like one of, if not my most iconic Star Wars childhood memory is, you know, the death of the Emperor. Seeing Darth Vader defeated, all those elements of that scene are 100% what makes this film for me still to this day. And in that same area, it's Act 3, I think my favorite quote in the film is, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. I think that's just the most mic drop moment for Luke in the whole trilogy. Dude, and like you said, like the extended like series of scenes really mm-hmm. is all so powerful. It's just like yeah. epic line after epic line, all with the most, the deepest resonance yep. in them. Not just cool dialogue, but like really deep stuff. Hamill's performance in Return of the Jedi is really something. I mean, like his physicality too. He's like, he, that was like yeah. his prime. That moment where he exhibits all that rage, cuts his hand off, his father's hand off. He's in an instant decided to kill or not kill his father and immediately <laughs> channels his calm at meditation yeah. and focuses and throws his lightsaber aside. I mean, that, and, and that's what's so poignant about that line to me is that's the moment when he became a Jedi and he proclaims it in that moment to the emperor. Like, dude, chills on my body right now. <laughs> he just goes, I'm, yeah. I'm a Jedi like my father before me. And that's when Yoda tells him, no, you're not a Jedi yet. You must confront Vader. Well, that's done. I did it. I bested him. I'm not going to kill him like you want me to. I'm not going to give in to this anger. And therefore I realize, holy crap, I'm a Jedi. So that's mine. Well, <sighs> we're done. No. <laughs> that's why you let me go first. You knew no. that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, I can't disagree. I mean, the stuff with Yoda is huge for me. The the Same. conversation with Obi-Wan, this from a certain point of view conversation, those are all huge. But I do, I feel the same way, especially the part where he won't fight Vader, right? Mm-hmm. And he's kind of hiding that little chase in the shadows. Number one, it scared me when I was a little kid. And <laughs> two, it it's the one clip that I already have pulled from the film. It's 57 seconds long. Can we play it? You guys want to hear this? It's just so good. Sure. We're already running late. Let's go. <laughs> the lines, when Luke finally loses it, you know, how Vader's taunting him. It's, it's just so good. Here we go. Give yourself to the dark side. It is the only way you can save your friends. Yes. Your thoughts betray you. Your feelings for them are strong. Especially for Nine seconds. Soundtrack. Soundtrack, <laughs> dude, for that scene. Woo! That moment. The oh, man. choir, like the men's choir ripping. It's just, man. So and the, the line about Obi-Wan mm-hmm. now, especially, 
because of the Clone Wars, actually. The Clone Wars and how, how they elevated, especially Revenge of the Sith. That line, like you said, Ashley, everything ties all the way back. All those dots are connected in such a more powerful way. And he's still hung up on Obi-Wan, still. I'm glad James Earl Jones got credit because finally, <laughs> yeah. diction there, you know? Let's talk about <laughs> pronunciation. Complete. Do you want to go, Ashley? Um, you know, I, I think this may surprise you because I agree with everything you guys said. But I also think this could be the difference between you being as young boys watching this versus me as a young girl watching this. I'm kind of combining two scenes, but the scene with Luke and Yoda and then later the scene with Luke and Leia where Yoda says there is another. Mm -hmm. To me, that was really powerful because I love Leia and, you know, I, I knew that was Leia. And then, you know, Luke telling Leia, obviously revealing that they're brother and sister and my favorite line is one that is throughout Star Wars. You know, Leia says, I know. In that scene. And I have such a connection with that line because Ahsoka says it at the end of season five when Ahsoka's walking away from the Jedi Order. I'm sorry, spoilers. But <laughs> Anakin says, Ahsoka, I understand more than you realize. And Ahsoka says, I know. That line, I know, comes throughout the entire saga. And whenever it's used, it's so powerful by so many people. So I love that Leia says, I know there. I love that... As a, as a little girl, the realization I had that Leia, you know, could be a Jedi too and that she has these powers. I mean, I have different thoughts on the Mary Poppins moment later. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted more from that. Carrie Poppins. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's, I think rewatching it, you know, that was always one of my favorite moments. And then rewatching it for me, it's still just as powerful. That, that's my second one that I can't watch that scene without crying. I can I can barely talk about not being able to watch that scene without crying, without crying. And now having watched Clone Wars, you recounting that scene with Ahsoka in your voice, I just, <laughs> I really kind of uh, lost it there for a second. Uh, so thank you, Nick, go ahead. <laughs> to me, your, your point and your favorite scene and just overall uh, favorite feeling is, you're talking about family. And to me, Star Wars and the Skywalker saga is the Skywalker saga because it's about family and it's about Palpatines and Skywalkers and found family and all this type of stuff. And and to me, like I kind of said earlier, I think I look at all of the original trilogy now. I no longer see a bad guy invader. I see manipulated Anakin only. And that has to do with the character development we got in the Clone Wars from Anakin and what Ahsoka did to develop Anakin as a character. That being said, my favorite scene where I really do picture Anakin talking to Luke as opposed to Vader talking to Luke is on the catwalk when Luke turns himself in and they're referring to each other as father and son. It's almost Vader slash Anakin is admitting that it's too late for him to turn and Luke just doesn't believe it. He doesn't want to believe that his father, who he doesn't know, he does not know other than blood relative, he does not know his father at all, believes that there's good in him and he could feel it, he could sense it all through the force. And to me, as a kid, that was a cool moment, whatever. But as an adult, watching the Clone Wars and seeing what Star Wars can be in a familial sense, that scene hit me so hard this week when I rewatched it because it was no longer Vader and Luke, it was Anakin and Luke. And Anakin really just 
Anakin kind of just laying it out that it was too late for him and Luke just not believing it. And I think that that was super powerful. And and just in a sense of Star Wars being family, like it is a family thing outside of the movies. It's a thing that is generational at this point. And The Rise of Skywalker is the first Star Wars movie I didn't get to like see with my parents yet. And that's like killing me, you mm. know, like they went and saw it with my sister back in New York and, and I just was unable to go see it when it came out with them. And that was like a big kind of like put a lump in my throat where I'm like, oh man, they're going to go see it without me. I've Even though I've lived in California now for a couple of years, I've always gotten to see every new movie with them. And Star Wars is family on screen and then behind the scenes also, especially hearing you talk about how you are with uh, all the other actors and, and Star Wars players out there. And to me, that's ultimately what it's all about is community and family. And, and this catwalk scene just stuck out so hard to me last night uh, and this week when I was watching it. And it wound up being my favorite scene all of a sudden. If I can add one thing to that, Nick, I couldn't agree with you more. To me, Star Wars means hope. It just means good overcoming evil. And Vader there saying it's too late for him, I feel like is such a symbol of some people feel like there's no hope left. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I am looking for hope, I turn to Star Wars. There's always hope. It's never too late for hope. There's always light. You know, as Ahsoka says in Rise of Skywalker, let the light guide you as it guided us. There's always light. There's always hope. It's never too late. And I think it's something we all need right now. Yeah, this is something that's generational that has given all of us hope and given us power and made us better people. And you have a very uh, blatant story of good and evil. And no one's rooting for the evil guys in, in this whole saga. And that's something that I think people forget in real life is that there's sides are being taken right now in real life. And if you really just put them in a sense of Star Wars, you would never root for the Empire. <laughs> right. Oh. Getting heavy. Dude. It's the heaviest one we've done. Dude. <laughs> One more thing about Leia, knowing that she would she would eventually become a Jedi. Two, well, actually, two things. One, Nick, to your comment about the whole idea about father and son really talking in the conflict invader on the catwalk. There's a moment I never noticed until last night when I rewatched. After they take Luke away, he gets in the elevator. The elevator shuts. Vader walks, Anakin, to be honest, walks to the railing, grabs the railing, and pauses there for a second in deep thought. I never noticed that pause, but that's such a human moment. And uh, again, it's so much more gravity now. One more thing about Leia. As Yoda's dying, he says, pass on what you have learned. It's coupled right there with the last line, there's another Skywalker. So he's telling Luke specifically to train Leia. Mm -hmm. It's like an order. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not just a general statement. Pass on what you have learned, there's another Skywalker. That's like a unified statement. It's huge. Well, the idea that a Jedi needs a Padawan, I mean, that's his, he's passing that on to say, okay, I've trained you. It's like, now it's your turn to train someone else. It's awesome. I'm a little misty over here. Thanks, I've everybody. been misty for like 10 minutes straight. Uh, read some funny lines to, to the Wild Web off my chair. There, there's, not, there's not a lot of comedy in this one, you know? It's pretty heavy. Lots of good Harrison Ford little witty lines, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's me. I got your promise. Not a scratch. Luke says, uh, I was born here, you know. You're going to die, die here, here, you know. know. Convenient. <laughs> if we're just listing a few more quotes before we get into the medals, I have to say yeah. that I, there's a quote from this film that I use weekly. Anytime something is maybe just not going exactly as planned, it's like a reflex for me to say, <laughs> yeah. I'm endangering the mission. I shouldn't have come. I just, that's, <laughs> I, I use it. 
all the time. I all, like, especially in professional settings, you know, like we're in the studio, something's not working. I'll just be in the back and just say, I'm sorry, I'm endangering the mission. I shouldn't have come. <laughs> so Real I love that. Memes. I, I love that line. Hey, question. Is this the term rebel scum? Was this the first time in this when they, uh, could be, they get captured, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to set the charges in the, the shield generator on Endor. Yeah. And the guy walks up and he uses that voice. That's like yeah. the, the rebel scum, you know, that guy. I don't think that it was used before this film. No, there it is. Thank you, Kurt. The one line we were, that was kind of comedic, which stuck out to me, uh, that I know we talked about earlier when Han and Luke are captured and heading towards the, uh, skiff in the Jabba's oh, yeah. uh, sail barge. Han says to Luke, says, how we doing? Luke says, same as always. And Han says, that bad, huh? <laughs> That's great stuff. Their dynamic was great. They yeah. did such a good job of showing how their relationship had changed over the years. And mm-hmm. when you think back where they started in that cantina, it's so awesome to see them on that skiff together. You know, like mm-hmm. brothers in arms fighting for the rebellion. Yeah. So cool. I have to say, it's it's not a funny line, but... And rewatching the film, I forgot how many awesome creatures there are and just like funny creatures in yeah. Jabba's palace. Mm-hmm. I also, I, I have a, a great love for Salacious Crumb to the point that, and this got officially approved through licensing, they allowed me to kind of create my own fictitious bake shop called Salacious Crumb's Bake Shop. Oh, nice. And I've gotten to sell cupcakes from my Salacious nice. Crumbs bake shop. So um, I have to give a shout out to Salacious Crumb because I, I don't know. I think he's adorable in like the ugliest way. <laughs> and, and all the creatures are just hysterical. Like I really enjoyed yeah. rewatching that scene. And there's, there's this great shot right after Leia thaws Han. And then, you know, they realize that Jabba's just been hanging back to the whole time. And they pull the curtain where they're all like posed together, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a, like a K-pop band and yeah. the curtain just opened. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Pretty 80s. In a collectible sense, the most, I think, expensive collectible from then is like the Yak Face figure. And he's just like in the back on the barge. He kind of looks like Joe Camel kind of thing. <laughs> right. Uh, and and his, his unofficial name is Yak Face. And that's like the most expensive. Mm. If you have that somehow mint in a box, you're well off. You have that's somehow the most expensive Kenner toy from back in the day. That's so funny. We're good here, right? Move yeah. on to the medal yeah. ceremony. Yeah, let's hand them out. Yep. All right, so we went to Patreon to our wonderful patrons with five nominations for favorite scenes, five nominations for favorite quotes. I'll read those off now, and then we'll um, we'll tell you the winners. For favorite scenes, we nominated the sail barge scene slash battle. We nominated Luke's final conversation with Yoda and Yoda's death. The a certain point of view conversation with Obi-Wan, where Luke learns that Leia is his sister. Luke and Vader's final duel and the Emperor's death, and then removing Vader's helmet and Anakin's death. Those are the five. The winner, with 38% of the vote, Skywalker versus Vader, the final duel, Emperor's death. You know what about these results, though? When we were debating these scenes, Nick, you were right. Tell your sister you were right. <laughs> Remember, he was like, yeah, speeder chase versus skiff battle. I think we got to go skiff mm-hmm. battle, and it came in second oh, place yeah. out of all those scenes. Second place. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not totally unexpected, but um, it's still interesting to see how these pan out. Yeah. Favorite quotes. Number one, Yoda on his deathbed says to Luke, there is another Skywalker. There is another Skywalker. 
Number two, Luke says to Leia in the Ewok village on Endor, the force is strong in my family. My father has it. I have it. And my sister has it. Number three, the most meme-worthy quote of the whole movie, Admiral Akbar. It's a trap! <laughs> Number four, Luke says to the Emperor in the throne room after defeating Vader, I'll never turn to the dark side. You failed, Your Highness. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. And number five, Vader says to Luke, asking him to remove his mask. Just for once, let me look on you with my own eyes. And the winner with 52% of the vote, Luke to the Emperor. Boom. I am a Jedi like my father before me. Thank you. Thank you, patrons. feel so validated. It's so good, dude. I know. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yep. I right, hero's journey complete. Right now, I just realized I'm a Jedi, <laughs> and I'm saying it out loud. And in second place, with 23 percent of the vote, the force is strong in my family. My father has it, and so on. This goes to your point about the fact that when we see films like Solo and Rogue One, where it's cool to see the side hustles, but we want the force. Everybody wants it. We need it, man. Got to put it in there, even just a little bit of force. Yeah, it's yeah. not Star Wars yeah. without it. All right, final thoughts. We all love this movie. That's all there is to it. <laughs> it's my favorite Star Wars movie. I will go on record and say that. You finally get to do that officially. <laughs> I'm happy for you. It's not my favorite Star Wars film, but it's the one from my childhood that resonates the most. As far as my memories of Star Wars, falling in love with Star Wars, the reason I'm such a Star Wars dork now. That's not a bad word, by the way. It's a, it's a great, proud word. I would but, say nerd. Like, more than dork. Okay. The reason I'm such a Star Wars nerd, I'm a dork too, though. I don't, what, what, are, you, what are you trying to, you, you know. But uh, this movie was just, that's, that's the one that, that made, when I think of it, it, it reminds me of my, my first memories of Star Wars, playing Star Wars with my dad in the hallway. Just those types of things all I, I remember from this being the first film, I think, that I knew what was going on watching it as a, as a young kid, watching the ending and Anakin's death and all that is just the real stuff in Star Wars. True that. I agree. I love this film. My favorite film is The Empire Strikes Back. And so I think I tend to go back and watch that one more. So I actually, going back and watching this again, you know, to prepare for this podcast, I forgot how much I love this film. Same. So, yeah, really grateful. I'm an Empire. Empire is my favorite. Unquestionably first place for me. So watching this was like, oh, yeah. I love yeah. so much about this movie. It's weird. Like, I had, I had this feeling... There's so many things in this movie specifically that I didn't realize happened for the first time in this film because I guess in those early years of my life, this is what Star Wars was. I took for granted certain things. I just thought, oh, this, yeah, this, is, this was there the whole time, right? But it's funny to go through the details and realize, no, it's just because it was in those formative years. Mm -hmm. so, so solidified. Are you down to do a few listener questions, Ashley? Sure. Where are those transmissions? Transmission commencing. Intercepted Imperial transmission. Transmission received. Listener questions from Patreon. What do you think Ahsoka would tell Luke and Leia about their father if they ever met? Oh, <laughs> so I, I have to be careful with this question because oftentimes when I, I say stuff, 
as a fan, people take it as though I have inside knowledge right. and uh, I, I do not. So I have absolutely no inside knowledge of if that moment happened, what she would say. Right. So I, I preface this by saying this is just me as a fan, you know, wanting and hoping to see that moment. But I have to hope that Ahsoka would tell them stories of the hero Anakin Skywalker, that she would tell them all the good memories and all of the amazing things about him because Ahsoka views Anakin Skywalker as a brother. I mean, she pretty much says it in this last season of Clone Wars when they ask her, you know, how did you learn to fight like that? And she said, my brother taught me. The bond that they share goes beyond friendship, goes beyond teacher and student. It is brother, sister for sure. So I would think she would tell stories to them of a family member and tell them that their father was a hero. Loving stories about Sky Guy. (laughs) Yes. She said, let me tell you about my Sky Guy. (laughs) That's beautiful. (laughs) All right. Other than Ahsoka, who is your favorite character to come out of the Clone Wars series? Ooh, great question. Other than Ahsoka. Oh, gosh. Well, there's, there's so many of them. You know, I have to say my favorite arc, other than the finale arcs, which I love, but I mentioned earlier, it's the Mortis trilogy, and it goes into kind of the explanation of the Force, the son and the daughter. And a lot of people don't realize, and again, spoiler if you haven't seen this, but Ahsoka actually died in the Clone Wars. Like, Ahsoka was dead. You know, so we talk about Ahsoka lives, Ahsoka lives, but actually Ahsoka died. And the daughter, who represents the light side of the Force, gave up her life for Ahsoka and brought Ahsoka back to life. And that's why I often say, like, I think not only is Ahsoka a good character, but in my opinion, she represents the light side of the Force. She represents all that is good. So again, this is me speaking as a fan. I know nothing. Dave Filoni will not tell me. But if you look at Morai, the bird that is always around Ahsoka, Morai is the same colors as the daughter in Mortis. So I don't know what the connection is there. Your guess is as good as mine, but the Mortis trilogy, I think the daughter and what her connection is, if there is a connection with Morai, um, I'm fascinated by it. Awesome. I love that. We're going to let you off here in a second, we promise. But we have something. (laughs) It's all good. We have a last little thing called Test Bay 94. It's a little lightning round. Favorite things, either or, and would you rather... The major weapons test is imminent. Test Bay 94. You may fire when ready. This is good. Favorite Star Wars look or outfit you could do in-universe, you could do of your own as well, either or. Oh, I I think uh, Padme's the ombre kind of lake house dress personally is probably my favorite dress. Uh, So if I were to pick one to wear to, I don't know, like the Met Gala, I'd probably pick that Padme dress. Nice. Those costumes, those prequels costumes are just off the chain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're amazing. Dude, there there was a handful of girls in full Padme gear at last celebration that just blew my mind with the quality of those costumes. It was unreal. Either or. She already answered the either or, and she crushed it (laughs) earlier. 
Oh yeah, the, the Hayden Christensen or so Sebastian Shaw. The either or was going to be Hayden Christensen or, or Sebastian Shaw as Force Ghost Anakin, but you already oh. knocked that out of the park. So pun intended. <laughs> Would you rather be a Jedi training under Obi Wan, but but you breathe like Darth Vader? That's just the way you breathe. You're the awkward person that you're just you're on the phone with customer service and. And just no matter what, like you're at your kid's piano recital and you're just making that noise. It's constant. (laughs) Or uh, be a Sith training under Darth Sidious, but your speaking voice is Yoda. (laughs) Uh, Definitely train under under Obi-Wan and have a Darth Vader voice. (laughs) It kind of reminds me, I seriously doubt you guys had this, but as, as, as a girl growing up in the 90s, uh, we had the girl talk phone oh, yeah. and um, girl talk dateline. It, it, yep. And it, it would change your voice. And so you had multiple voices that you could be. So me and my sister would use it and we would do prank calls in these different voices. So I actually think it'd be really cool if I had a phone that you could like just automatically change your voice to Darth Vader's <laughs> 90s prank calls, man. <laughs> we were terrible. All of us we were all terrible. That's what you did on a Friday night. Poor little old ladies. <laughs> so funny. Uh, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, that's when we had phones that plugged into the wall. <laughs> they had physical yes. press buttons on them that you had to push to dial numbers. And then there was this. It was a weird time, kids. There was a book. There was a book that they would drop off on your porch, <laughs> and it had phone numbers for everyone who lived in your city. Not like check your contacts and connect them to Zoom. Like just everyone's phone number was in this book. <laughs> so you and your friends would get together and sneak some, you know, adult grape juice from your parents' whatever cabinet and then just start dialing random people's numbers and saying really uncomfortable things to them. 90s. I always used to find people that had the same names as band members, bands that, like, I look up, like, James Hetfield in the phone book or, like, there's no slash in the phone book, obviously, but, like, (laughs) or, or Axl Rose, but I would find, like, famous people's names and then call them and do nothing. I would just like freeze and just be like, are you Jim Setfold? Okay, bye. (laughs) Kids are weird. All right, wrapping up, what do you have going on that you could talk about? What are you allowed? Yeah, what what do you question? (laughs) We usually just ask, hey, what's going on? What what projects you got coming up? Um, What's your security clearance like these days? (laughs) You know, I... It's it's funny, and I think we're probably all in the same boat. I had a very busy year planned, and then the coronavirus happened. Uh, almost everything got canceled and you're having to rethink some things. But one thing that I definitely plan to still happen, we just have to, in this new normal that we have, figure it out. But I've been working for probably over two years on a Jedi training program for children's hospitals and been working closely with Disney and Lucasfilm. And, you know, without going into too many details, it, you know, it ties in mindfulness and basically uses the stories of Star Wars and the lessons that we all learn in Star Wars, but focuses more on the mental aspect of being a Jedi. And you could argue in many ways that that's more important than even the physical aspect. You know, Luke tells Ray. I'm going to butcher the exact line, but, you know, overcoming fear is the destiny of the Jedi. It's something I'm very proud of. It's something, again, that's been it's been a, a mission of mine for the past couple of years. So we were all set 
to, to launch this. And I was supposed to be spending my whole summer traveling the nation, going around to children's hospitals and teaching Jedi training to the kids in the hospitals. Wow. Obviously that got put on hold. Uh, so I plan to do it in some way and not just in children's hospitals, but hopefully in schools and there's going to be a video component to it. So to me, you know, while the Clone Wars may have ended, I feel like, you know, my work as being the voice of Ahsoka and wanting to be like a real life version of Ahsoka Tano will continue. Hopefully once we're all allowed to go back to work, I'll be able to do that. You really are such a wellspring of positivity in the Star Wars community, and it, it's just oh. so amazing and refreshing. Really, really brightens the day. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Thank you. I feel good. Oh. Actually, <laughs> I, I don't feel like shit right I, now. It's I cool. Actually, I, it's I, really I, cool. Today started out, full disclosure, a, a, a pretty crappy day. I was, I was having a crappy day. I feel really good right now. Thanks. <laughs> Same. I'm smiling. Oh, well, well, thank you. I You know, I will say... I'll leave it on this because I, I actually had a pretty kind of crappy start to the day too. But it was once told to me, Star Wars is something where everyone should be able to come together. You should be able to leave your politics at the door, your religion, your just kind of agenda at the door. And everyone should come together and enjoy this universe that we all love so much together. It, Star Wars brings people together and it takes what divides us and, and puts it away. And so I've always approached being an actress in Star Wars in that way. And I don't talk about politics and I don't talk about religion. I don't talk about all these things that usually divide people because I feel as a representative of Star Wars, I want to make Star Wars a safe place where everyone can come and enjoy it together and basically take away a little bit of hope. I feel like it's kind of hard to do that right now because it's like there's so much going on in our world and everyone wants to share their opinion and there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of hate. And, you know, it's it just, it there's a lot of just ickiness and it feels like the dark side. And so I'm not gonna lie, I had a down moment today and I'm, I'm really thankful for being on this podcast because it's reminded me of really what I wanna focus on is that, you know, we've now spent over two hours talking about what we love about Star Wars and talking about family and talking about hope and all the good things. And um, that's what I'm going to continue to do. So thank you guys for allowing me to do that and reminding me of that. I, I don't even that know. That was what great. To, thank I don't you. even know what to say. <laughs> thank you so much. I just will say that from our plane flight five months ago to now, just like we can't, I don't know, we can't thank you enough. Like how excited that I was that I was like, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, like able to pull this off. You know, I was like, guys, I'm really going to try. And <laughs> and now you're here. And it's just like hearing everything you had to say and sharing in our views of wanting to spread and highlight the positivity in the Star Wars universe in a time when not just in Star Wars, but but everywhere. It seems to be that a lot of times people that lean towards the dark side have louder voices and it's frustrating and I know that but we're all we're here and we're spreading this positivity and you're really good at that so thanks <laughs> well thank you all of this segues perfectly into the quote of the week which I love I'm really glad I found this because it's it can be more perfect this is actually from a transcript so this was spoken in a conversation this person says the whole point of the film the whole emotion that I'm trying to get at at the end of this film is for you to be really uplifted emotionally and spiritually and feel absolutely good about life. That is the greatest thing we could possibly ever do. That was George Lucas 
in the Revenge of the Jedi story conference. It's from the transcript in 1981. This actually comes from the book, The Making of Return of the Jedi, by J.W. Rinsler that was just on the Resistance broadcast. Great quote. I mean, yeah, you can read the whole thing. Lucas is actually, he's going back and forth with Kasdan about Kasdan wanting to kill one of the characters or something, wanting to put some kind of loss in the end. And Lucas was just like, no, man, this is a fairy tale. There's going to be a happy ending here. That's just the way it's going to go. This is why I told the story and this is what's going to happen. I'm glad he did it. Ashley, for those who don't know, tell them where they can find you on social media. You can find me uh, on Instagram. I have a personal account. It's just at Ashley Eckstein. But I still pop on over to um, the Her Universe accounts, you know, heruniverse.com. You can get merchandise for men and women. Nick has been our awesome model Stud. for our universe. <laughs> Stud muffin. And yeah, we're just on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Her Universe. But definitely for any new projects, uh, you can find out about it first on my personal Instagram at Ashley Eckstein. Cool. If you're looking for the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at ThankTheMakerPod, on Twitter at ThankTheMaker1, and on Patreon, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash ThankTheMakerPod. My personal account is at Adam the Skull on all the stuff. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Key. Thanks for tuning in tonight to our little podcast. (laughs) You can find me everywhere on social media at William Ryan Key. Thanks, Will. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, thank you again, Ashley. It was uh, absolutely a pleasure. It's great. And just like you said, we just talked about Star Wars for probably going on two and a half hours now, and it was the best part of the day for sure. But uh, I'm everywhere on social media, at Nick Bayside on uh, Instagram and Twitter and all that type of stuff. So, again, you guys are all reaching out and uh, welcoming me into your uh, daily lives, and and I love it. So hopefully I keep hearing from all of you. Ashley, thanks again for being here. Everyone, thanks for listening. And until the next time, may the Force be with you. (laughs) 